Welcome to CinemaScope, a new podcast from True Story FM. Hi, I'm Andy Nelson, co-host of the Next Real Film podcast and Movies We Like. As a passionate movie lover, I've always relished exploring the diverse landscape of cinema. And when you look closer at the taxonomy of genres, subgenres, and film movements, you see an intricate web of interconnections and influences. This complex cinematic family tree spans only 125 years. So how did styles as diverse as the French New Wave, New Queer Cinema, and Ozploitation emerge? What cultural, economic, and technological forces sculpted these styles? And what hidden threads unite them all as part of the same fantastic art form? Those questions sent me on a journey to explore each style and trace their impacts, all to better understand the bridges between different styles. And that led me here to CinemaScope. In each episode, I'll be exploring one particular genre, subgenre, or film movement in depth, inviting expert guests to help us all better understand what defines that style, how it came to be, and what branches it, in turn, influenced on this big cinematic family tree. For example, how did German Expressionism shape American film noir? What's the difference between Westerns, Spaghetti Westerns, and Brazilian Nordesterns? We'll examine the economic and socio-political forces that birthed categories like black exploitation, and we'll spotlight visionary films and directors key to the evolution of different styles. So join me as we explore the complex forces that shape film's evolution and appreciate the diverse creativity possible in its relatively brief history. Let Cinemascope be your guide to understanding this art form we cherish how its genres blend, bounce off each other, and advance a rich tapestry of storytelling innovation. Together, we'll gain a deeper appreciation for this wondrous, shape-shifting medium. Our journey begins soon. Be part of this adventure by subscribing to CinemaScope today. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to The Next Reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. In just a matter of seconds, you're going to hear a classic episode of this show from back in the day when we called ourselves Movies We Like. It took us a while to settle into the show's format, so you'll notice some differences as you listen to these episodes. For instance, it takes us a bit of time to actually get into the conversation about the movie. Things like that. But we're still proud of the conversations about the movies themselves, and we think they're worth keeping in the library. So enjoy these episodes from our back catalog. And you can become part of our Discord community, learn more about the show, and find out how you can become a supporting member at thenextreel.com. So thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to The Next Reel. We appreciate your time and attention, and we hope you enjoy the show. Let's get on the crazy boat. Well, let's see, you always have the best kind of arbitrary random line right after I push the button. Let's get on the crazy boat. I don't know. Is the crazy boat a thing? It sure is. It's if you're crazy. That's right. You're right. on a and you're on a boat. It it leaves from Port Looney. A <laughs> <laughs> uh, good good fine morning to you, Andrew. Yes, indeed. Yes. Uh, we we had to to record a little bit of a different time because we're doing a very a very uh, uh, this movie is au courant. <laughs> we. We oui, we oui. it is uh, we're we're wrapping up our uh, well I guess we're wrapping up our series of existing born movies 
mm-hmm. with uh, the Born Legacy, which just came out yesterday, and we have now both seen it, and uh, we're going to we're going to do some talking about it. Yes, we's going to do some chatting. We's going to do. Some, I'm going to get me some of that. Hmm. Mm, and how? <laughs> uh, so um, let's uh, first of all, where let's do the where can people find you bit, so you know they don't have to listen to the end if all they were doing is listening to get your Twitter address. That's that's I, I know that's why they listen. Mm-hmm. People can find me at Soda Creek Film or on Facebook at Soda Creek Film or over at Rashpixel TV. And uh, yeah, those are the best places. Excellent. And I'm at Pete Wright on, on the Twitter and um, rashpixel.tv slash MWL. You'll find all the old shows. You can also, I've been having uh, more and more people follow the SoundCloud uh, oh, feed for the show, which is always nice. You can follow us at uh, SoundCloud um, slash, uh, what is it? I don't even know what it is. SoundCloud slash Rashpixel. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find that. I'm going to find that out. That's a good question. I what? Yeah, I know, right? Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, go to SoundCloud.com/slash/RashPixel, and you can find all the shows and sets, and and uh, look for the uh, movies we like set there. Uh, so there you have it. There you have it. And uh, it, it always helps if you uh, if you drop a quick review in iTunes. That's very kind of you to take a few minutes to head over to iTunes and write a quick review and share some notes with folks. At, it helps folks uh, find this show who are interested in all things film. Definitely. Definitely, definitely. Do, so, uh, yes, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, are we going to talk about any trailers before we jump in? Well, I want, I think we should talk about the trailers uh, from the uh, film that we just saw. What tra- I, I assume we saw the same trailers. Well, I don't largely. know. I, I mean, the trailer I, I'm most excited to have seen this week was the one for uh, Zero Dark Thirty. Yeah, Catherine Bigelow's new movie, which was not on my screening it, of uh, The it, Born Legacy. It was on mine. Was it on yours? Yes, it was. Oh. Yes, it was. It was. Uh, so, okay. So, why are you excited about this uh, film? Because it's the Hurt Locker Part Two. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's that's. <laughs> it definitely feel has that feel. You know, Catherine Bigelow, I think, really is a masterful action filmmaker. And, uh, you know, Strange Days, uh, I mean, some of the ones that she's done, I'm not big fans of, like, I wasn't a fan of K-19, uh, Widowmaker, um, but that being said, it certainly was, was, uh, had its share of action in it. And, uh, what she did with Hurt Locker, I thought was just stellar, and the way that she told that story and, and, the the, everything about that film I just really loved. And, um, this movie, which is about, you know, the inside story of what went on to capture bin laden is it just looks to be very intriguing and very uh, engrossing so i love I, uh, yeah I, i'm really looking forward to it I, I love the trailer it feels um it feels like a trailer to a like a mike hustwit kind of a, a documentary you know I, I love the redaction theme um you know, I, I, I love the the way they play the voiceovers and, and it's just a really it's a dramatic trailer and it really sort of brings you in um, in, in a, a very cool way. Um, so I think this movie's going to be uh, one to watch. Yeah, I 100 percent agree. Uh, let's see what else. Uh, what else played? Uh, well, I saw the new trailer for Lawless. Uh, I, I guess we've already talked about that before, but it's, you know, just in it's they've Warner Brothers is actually um, going back. And I think it's Warner Brothers um, 
no, sorry, Weinstein Company. They're going back and actually redoing the trailer and they're reshooting scenes from the film in the wake of what happened in Aurora, Colorado. Um, because I, I don't know if you remember from the original trailer, but there was an actual scene where the um, gangsters rip through a movie screen and shoot up the crowd. Oh, good Lord. Really? I know. I I completely didn't remember that. About I didn't the, either. The, that happening in the trailer, but then I read that story and I was just like horrified. I was like, I cannot imagine that ever playing in a movie now. And uh, and I think very smartly they're going back and I mean they they're reshooting. They're actually rewriting some of the story to basically reshoot that element of the story. And it's um. It's, it's, uh, I mean, it's a good thing that they're doing that. It's, uh, you know, just definitely a reflection of the times and what you have to be aware of when you're making films. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's, uh, chilling. Yeah, uh, definitely. the, uh, let's see the, um, the lawless. And then, uh, let's see, I saw the, the, the new trailer for, uh, the latest, um, what's the zombie one? Uh, with, oh, I with, don't, um, didn't see a zombie one. Mila Jovovich. Mila Jovovich. Oh, is that another Resident it's Evil? There's another Resident Evil. And right, it's, right, right. Uh, it's, you know, I, uh, I really celebrate the entire uh, zombie and mass uh, extermination via mm -hmm. uh, disease genre. Right. And so I will definitely see this one. I would see Mila in just about anything. N noting full well that I'm, I escape my senses, <laughs> my better senses at the time, <laughs> which is smart. It is definitely smart. Yeah, I, I have a secret fascination with the Resident Evil movies. As bad as I know they're yeah. going to be, I still, I think I've seen every one. Actually, no, I, I take it back. I think I missed the last one, but it's, it's on my queue. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. No, I've got the, I got the last one too, and and it's, you know, it's like Chinese food. You see it, and immediately you've forgotten what it was about. But it's, uh, <laughs> but you, you'll see it again and again. Uh, so I saw that one, and it's, uh, it's another uh, wonderful uh, umbrella corporation uh, trying to exterminate Mila Jovovich. Boy, that Umbrella Corporation. <laughs> they sure do have it in for some random people. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but there's one. Okay, so are there any other trailers you want to talk about before? You know, I just saw, um, the other one I saw was Trouble with the Curve, the, uh, the new one with Clint Eastwood, which is, I think it's his return to acting. Acting. Without directing, yes. So it's kind of exciting. To, with uh, uh, this was with uh, Amy Adams and uh, uh, bringing sexy back. What's his name? Yeah, Justin Timberlake. Justin Timberlake. I'm gonna. T this totally surprised me. I didn't even know this movie existed and saw the trailer uh, yesterday and was very moved by it. Yeah, it looks to be good. It's always nice seeing Clint get up on the screen. So well, and baseball movies. Come on. Yeah, that's true. We're just uh, we're just we're working at uh, building another baseball series. That's so, right. know, maybe we can throw this one in. Absolutely. Um, okay, so I, I wanted to talk just briefly uh, about Total Recall. Did you see it? I did see it. I haven't seen it, but I, I haven't heard good things, but I, I still want to see it. Well, I, there, there's a reason for that, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> there's a reason you haven't heard good things. Oh, that's too bad. You know, there, this is one of those movies, though, where... The <laughs> I mean, they capitalize on some some science fiction tropes in a really cool way. 
You know, there are just little things. It, li- these little things. Like, for example, you got is your phone ringing? You can't find your phone? Well, sure you can, because it's embedded in the palm of your hand. Mm. <laughs> just, you want to talk to somebody? Just hold your phone up to your ear, or your, your head, hand, your yeah. hand up to yeah. your ear, your head, and, and you're talking. You're talking on the phone. Want to move to a video call? Just take that very same hand and place it up against any piece of glass in the entire Total Recall universe. And you're wow. there. Uh, That's pretty cool. Things like the fall. Okay, apparently we've totally destroyed our, our uh, you know, the United States has totally been destroyed because the rest of the world exists in New Britain or whatever it's called, the new global UK consortium of of countries. And that's where all the rich people live. And the all of the uh, the servant class lives in Australia. And and so every day people shuttle over to from Australia to you know the other side of the planet. Wow! Well, how do they get there? That's such trouble. Like, how do you figure out how to get there? Well, they go through what's called the fall, which is a train that goes through the molten core of the planet. <laughs> Takes about seventeen minutes. There is a very cool gravity shift right in the middle. And then you come out the other side, and and that that's it. And so instead of going to Mars and, um, you know, dealing with all that stuff, they you know they go through the planet to the other side of the of Earth, and they never really leave Earth. Wow! Now, interesting. The uh, the the possibly the best part of the film is the airport scene, where you know, two weeks, right? Mm-hmm. The two week scene because the original two weeks woman makes the cameo, and they say, "How long are you going to be here?" And she says, two weeks." And then he says, "Okay, you may pass right on through." <laughs> and her head doesn't fall off and explode. Oh, you're kidding! That is finger. awesome. I didn't know, I know that they did that. Yeah, yeah, it's great. It's great. And so there are some. There are some like some, the as usual with these movies. Some of the tech and the gear and the the effects are really you know really ingenious and fun to kind of let go and watch. But but the, the you know in general the movie itself is is uh, pretty tough to get through. And um, Jessica Biel is still smoking hot and uh, generally awesome. Kate Beckinsale spends most of the movie running and yelling at men around her and uh, <laughs> that's about the extent of it and uh i've already forgotten the leading man's name uh, <laughs> colin, colin uh, farrell colin farrell okay. is i was gonna say colin firth that yeah i know a totally different type of total recall colin firth in total recall <laughs> um no Colin Farrell he you know he's he's hunky and brooding and uh, that's about the extent of it. I, I think that that kind of summarizes my experience with Total Recall it was uh, the the big question for me is was this movie uh as uh, does this does this movie replace the original Total Recall for me uh and I I think the answer is no for one reason there is no Guado. That's a bummer. I think they, See, and I think they failed on that front. Are bagging? Uh, you know, I, I've read some reviews talking about how they're starting to get um, 
concerned about some remakes and and a remake you know hollywood is convinced that if you do a remake it's going to just make a bunch of money and all this stuff and it's it's surprising to them when a remake doesn't make money yet maybe they need to look at what the script is before they make it and write a good <laughs> script for it <laughs> maybe that will make money wow that's so god <laughs> seems so smart uh, it does. You should I be know. in Hollywood. <laughs> oh goodness! Well, they, uh, they, they. I don't think that anybody actually read the script probably before they before they made it, which is which is sad. Sad yet yeah. not surprising. Yet not surprising. Uh, but you know, you got to see it. You got to. You had to see Total Recall. It's a it's a staple of my youth. Yeah, I'll be renting it. Yeah. I'll be renting it. They did, it, you know, the the cars, the magnetic, uh, the maglev cars were an interesting uh, uh, sci-fi con uh, sort of conceit played out. Uh, the the highway system was clever. Um, you know, I mean, there there's a lot of cleverness to it, but it's just yet another movie that that goes into the data bank of of uh, films that that uh, are are beaten down by poor scripts, no matter how shiny they are. So, yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's talk. Uh, let's talk. Born. Yes. So let's talk about Jason Bourne. <laughs> Jason, yeah, right. So this is uh, this is the first uh, film that is uh, the experiment, I think, of the studio to franchise the the Bourne series beyond the trilogy by uh, you know Robert Ludlum. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, and at this point, I, I think we can safely just say, you know, Rodler, Robert Ludlum, other than name, really has nothing to do with no, and, with the films. And even, uh, even Robert more. Ludlum in spirit, Robert Ludlum in spirit. And now it seems like they have they have uh, stripped down what they are using as source material from the books. Because there is a board legacy by Eric von Lustbader, uh, which, you know, was the next from uh, you know they they did successfully franchise the Bourne series in the books and there are eight or nine books or something like that and and yeah, Eric von Eric, Eric's written six of he has written seven of them yes actually. now more of them than Robert Ludlum Robert Ludlum did um, but it, you you know I think this the studio is now only taking titles because in the Bourne legacy. Jason Bourne is still in it in the book. It's exactly. a book about Jason Bourne, and and so uh, you know here we have um, uh, here we have the the first take with the, the new actor Jeremy Renner and a, a new original story in the Bourne series, Bourne universe. Mm -hmm. What did you think? Well, you know, I I I'm I'm torn. Because I, I liked it as much as I was hoping I would in some aspects, and I was also a little disappointed about it in some other aspects that I just didn't feel worked as well as I wanted them to. And okay. um, I, I really liked Jeremy Renner. In fact, the cast, I didn't have a problem with anybody in the cast. I thought they cast it really well. I think that's been a strength of the series so far is they've always cast... Um, great people to play all of these roles. Um, the directing style, um, I, I feel like we kind of left that shaky cam style that Paul Greengrass had been using in 
in supremacy and ultimatum and kind of went back to more just that intensified continuity style that um was being used in the born um born identity by by doug lyman and um you know and that and that was nice it definitely had a, just a nice feel to it overall i liked the the locations i, I think the the uh challenge came in just really tapping into the complexities of what was really going on inside the um the the, the programs and just really trying to understand all, you know everything that all of these different programs were up to and how this character played by Jeremy Renner um cross Aaron cross how he ties into it and and what he's what his what he's trying to achieve over the course of the film and that was that was an area i i felt was a little weak was was um what he was really trying to do yeah i i think uh, okay uh that what what he was trying to do is to what they they call so a, after the first sort of the the first act and we get through some of the the introductory and the, the introduction of of Aaron Cross was I I think long and well I think it was well paced I mean I I I like the way we are we are introduced to Aaron Cross even though I thought opening up on a body in the water was a little bit played. Uh, I ended up liking sort of his journey that we get to watch him take through the through the mountains, mm-hmm. um, and and through the whole time you see him taking these drugs, so the little green pill and little blue pill, and and we learn that the meds are, um, you know, one of the meds is to is to keep him his physiology stable, and the other to keep his cognitive processing stable because of all the the upgrades that have been done to him through the through the process of treadstone and outcome, and uh, so he is he's on this journey we learn that's how we learn about the drugs and it turns out and and i think this is what you're what you're getting at it turns out that the whole sort of political story that's going on and what what's interesting is that this movie is is operating in sort of a parallel timeline rather than a uh, uh, in any sort of chronology to the to the ultimatum uh, born ultimatum this is operating at about the same time yeah so we get to see what's going on with this side of this sort of new angle in the same universe and the same point in the timeline. And uh, and so the political story that's going on that I think was really capitalized in Born Ultimatum ends up in the second and third act of Legacy being uh, really sort of ancillary to it. And his journey ends up being a far more simple one, which is just either get me more drugs or get me to a point where I don't have to take the drugs anymore. Yeah. And that seems seemed weak to me as well. Like it just it it just seemed that it was um it just didn't have quite the same uh impact. Right. As as the lesson that I feel like they they you know Greengrass had gotten us to uh with Born Ultimatum. Like I I really think in terms of where this movie came in the series as the audience they had already matured us beyond the simple I need the drugs uh motif yeah and that's because i mean essentially i mean he's kind of a in my understanding of aaron cross as the character is you know he signed up for this particular program he really wanted to be in it after having nearly been killed in action um over in uh afghanistan or wherever it was um 
he he wants to be a part of this program. He wants to them to take care of him, and um, and then when he's in it, he's he's unhappy with the assignments that he's having to do. A, a very much kind of like Jason Bourne, and the you know the atonement that he felt he had to do with the the Russian girl because he killed her parents, which you know he was told to do, and then he really felt that it was just not right. It seems to me that scene where Aaron Cross is meeting up with uh, Bayer and they're in some, you know, Middle Eastern country or something like that. Um, Bayer is saying, you know, this is the sort of thing. Don't worry. We're, we're the sin eaters. You know, that whole conversation. Love we have to do these bad things for the better of, of society. And, and he seems to not want to do that. And so he kind of gets, I don't know, a hand slap, which is in the case of these ultra agents go up to the Yukon and play and do a scavenger hunt for us. Yeah. And, and then, and then when you're good, we'll bring you back. Yeah. When you're, when you're sufficiently broken down again, which, which I think is an interesting, that's an interesting, um, uh, place where the sort of the, the way they handle the character sort of diverges in this film from the last three. And and maybe it's because so much of the last three movies is is devoted to this the fact that Jason Bourne has so little of Jason Bourne in his head uh that we're able to see um you know his we're able to see how his soul sort of reacts to what he's doing to his mm-hmm. jobs, right? And so um and so we're we're accustomed to having that sort of I'm 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 a good person doing evil things discussion in the context of this guy who's trying to rediscover who he is. We are not accustomed to seeing um you know the way that Jeremy Rennell, uh, Renner plays uh you know this character we're not quite as accustomed to seeing these agents, these guys who have been brainwashed have quite so much natural ability to question their orders. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like when he has that conversation with, uh, uh, with Edward or Eric Beyer, uh, you, you know, he really, he, he looks sad about it. And that's the first time we've, we've seen, um, that sort of emotion to a guy who's not otherwise fundamentally broken like Jason Bourne was. Right. Uh, The rest of the agents are totally cold, hard killers. And, and, so, you know, why is why is he different? Why is Renner's character different in this case? And and I don't is it, you know, I don't know that that was sufficiently explained for me. No, it wasn't. And and I guess that's that's where I I I think I lost track of the point I was trying to make earlier, but that's what for me with his particular character I mean, it's interesting we're following him along through this journey, but really at the same time like you said, we're following him so he can get some medication. Like that's the motivation for the film. Yeah, it's not. It's not him trying to, you know, grow and change and get out of the program and and atone for what he's done. I mean, yeah, he kind of you know doesn't seem that thrilled about it, but he he seems to be wanting to get out of it. Like when he writes no more on the mirror. Um, and leaves his tags behind. It's. I mean, he's only doing that because he is is has to has always had to keep taking this medication. And I mean, sure, maybe he would just stay in the Alaskan wilderness forever or the Yukon, wherever it was, um, so that he didn't have to go back out and and kill some more. But I just never got that sense from him that he was 
uh, overly guilty about the things that he was doing and really felt bad and wanted to change. Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, I, I, and I'm not sure where the, where that lies, if that's a, if that's a strictly a plot issue or if that's a, if that's a character issue in a, in a way sort of Renner plays it, uh, or, you know, or the direction or, or Gilroy's direction. I find it sort of interesting that this is the kind of what we're talking about. I note, I, I did not have any problem with Jeremy Renner as the, you know, as the replacement of Matt Damon, who I, I liked very much in these movies. And, yeah, and I, I thought he was great when I when I first saw the trailer, I found myself really sort of heartbroken that that, you know, Matt Damon was not a part of it. And uh, and I think Renner absolutely plays this off. I'm a big fan of his and everything I've seen him in. I really, really enjoy. And, and I just he's one of those guys I like watching on on screen. And I think he does this this the Bourne series justice. Well, he. Uh, he brings a lot of intensity. Yeah. He's a very intense actor. He also is a very intelligent actor. And you can see that there's always wheels spinning in his head as he's putting things together. And I think that's one of his strengths is how he uses that in this particular right. film to help tell this story and help move it along. And, and in a way where I think it just, um, you or, or the audience really do get connected to him right away and through the whole film. I mean, it's just very easy to connect to. Well, I think that really comes, uh, th that really hits home when they make it to Malaysia. Uh, and, you know, one of you the things... Manila? Uh, Manila, yeah. So they make it to the drug manufacturing plant. Uh, and at this point in his character arc, he's, he is he's hitting the floor. He's coming down because he hasn't had the cognitive processing drug in, you know, 51 hours or whatever it is. And you can, you, you're sort of watching him deteriorate, but he does it so subtly, um, that, that I, I it, it ends up being this sort of, uh, magical connection between him and Rachel Wise character, the doctor who is now at this point, um, you know, come around to, to helping him, uh, to virus off, uh, mm -hmm. and, and, and get himself fixed so he doesn't need to take the drugs anymore. But they, there, that's the, that's the sort of ticking clock. They have to get, they have to get him virused off before he actually hits the floor. And I think the way he plays that there's this, this, you know, series of sequences, you know, on the plane uh, airport on the plane in the taxi cab and into the actual uh, facility where I think he plays that really, um, elegantly. Yeah. Yeah. What'd you think of Rachel Wise as our uh, as our femme fatale? I don't know if femme fatale is yeah, the right no, word, no, but it's, it, right. it's she's I, I've always loved her. I think she's uh, an amazing actress who always brings a lot to any story, uh, and she's clearly not afraid of getting involved in in action sequences and chases and r having to run and you know ride on and dangle off the backs of motorbikes and all that, which is great. I think she's a great actress for it. Um, but also she brings just so much to the story by being this scientist, really, who's in a way, uh, I mean, kind of, I don't know if immoral, I, I think just amoral. You know, she's she's looking at the science and she's so excited about the science that they're doing that she's willing to look the other way as to what is being done with the science. Yeah, And I, I found that so interesting how she... She knows the world that she's in, but she's kind of blindly 
going along with it. And, uh, and it's, it's really interesting how, how she plays that because she plays it just kind of like any other scientist. But, you know, when all sorts of crazy stuff starts happening, um, you know, she's, she knows the world that she's in, you know, it certainly surprises her, but she's, she knows that this is kind of what, unfortunately, the, the sort of stuff that has to happen. And then she has to acknowledge, you know, the, and, and, you know, it's interesting, they cut that line from the film that they use in the trailer when she's talking about how excited she is about, you know, these, this level of enhancements and mm -hmm. what they're, what they're doing with these people. And, 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 uh, Jeremy Renner's character has that line. I'm not a science experiment doc. Mm -hmm. They cut that from the film, which I thought was interesting, but it's in all the trailers out there. Um, but, and that very much played up with the whole idea that in the name of science, there are these people out there who can amorally forget that they're dealing with just another person and look at them like number five, which is how she's always seen him. That, I, I think you get that sense uh, when the agents come to her house, you know, and she sits down with the supposed uh, or presumed clinical psychologist, doc mm -hmm. doctor of clinical psychology, uh, and she sits across the table from her and she finally comes out and says, you know, do you know what goes on in that office, in that laboratory? Mm -hmm. Do you have any idea? You, you've got yeah, to Are you this. even clear to have this conversation? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Are you clear to have this conversation with me? Uh, when she talks about how, you know, they're doing, you know, she starts coming out about saying they're doing this behavior modification at the sort of molecular level and you have to see what, you have to check his blood, you have to check his blood. But but the way she plays that scene, I think, is is really terrific because she ends up you end up reading uh, the pride uh, on her face, even though this was, you know, she just ha witnessed this uh, horrific event in her mm -hmm. office where she works this sort of sacred space. And uh, you you see that you can see it on her face that she's still really sort of proud of the science that happened there. Yeah. Uh, and, and I thought that was really, um, you know, it's why Rachel and I are so close. <laughs> and it was interesting playing this character um as it's it's an interesting mirror to the character she played in the constant gardener where she was somebody who um was trying to help people using science mm -hmm. and found out what the corporation was doing and worked to worked against them and ended up getting killed for it so it's an interesting parallel between those two characters i thought I, I absolutely agree, and and uh, was only just um, you know struggling to make a connection between her and and her character, uh, you know, in the Mummy. But I think yours is better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to your point, though, we should talk about Constant Gardener. That's one of my very favorite films. That's yeah, a, that it is. is. We we need to do a, uh, a Jean Le Jean Le Carré. Carré yeah, yeah. Okay, so she did a great job. We like her a lot. How about uh, Edward Norton? Okay, Edward Norton is. Um, I think he's a fantastic actor. It's it's hard to go wrong with him. He's he brings a lot to the table. Uh, we've already discussed him before on the show in Fight Club. I really liked him in this role as the kind of the the head of the um, really the guy who's kind of designed all of these programs. Like he's the guy who's behind everything from Treadstone through Blackbriar to this program called Outcome, to Larks, and, uh, you know, there's another one like Emerald Lake, I think, is is one that we see in there. Um, he's, he's kind of the man behind all of these programs, the guy kind of running the shadow corporation um, called, I can't remember, 
NRAC or something like that. Um, uh, NRAG, NRAG. Uh, he runs NRAG, this this you know shadow corporation that works for the government and basically makes these super soldiers and then contracts them out to the government to for the government to use as operatives. And I found all of that so fascinating and in fact i mean it's the sort of stuff that our government is really trying to do with some actual programs that they're um, that they have out there uh, with some other wonderfully um uh wonderful uh, um acronyms for the names like darpa and iarpa are the ones that our government actually has defense advanced research projects agency and intelligence advanced research projects agency these are research pro programs that our government is actually doing to enhance the cognitive and physical performance of american soldiers and spies they've been doing this for like 60 years um, so that i think is really fascinating that tony gilroy tapped into that and the way that he ties eric byer's character or eric byer Edward Norton's character into this world of political, like the government side, the intelligence side, and the corporate side. Um, it also really becomes a very interesting antagonistic character that really is reflected in a lot of Tony Gilroy's films. You know, you have Tilda Swinton in Michael's, Michael Clayton. You have both of the heads of the corporation in uh, Duplicity. And uh, or in the two corporations, the battling corporations, and then you have him. And it's interesting. He seems to really have tapped into how corporate interests are slowly taking over how things happen in our country. And Edward Norton, I think, does that really well. And I really enjoy him. In fact, I think he's a fantastic um, antagonist in this. My only gripe would be he just always felt slightly too young. <laughs> Like, okay, this is the guy behind all these programs, but he's like, you know, you know, late 30s, early 40s. <laughs> and I just like, I, I felt like so, it would be somebody like, um, you know, like an, um, an Albert Finney or David Strathairn or one of those guys would, Stacey Keach even, you know, the Stacey older guys Keech, would be the guy behind not, all of this sort of stuff. But was, I still just absolutely loved him in it. Oh, Stacey Keach was so great. Uh, so anyway, the, the, I I totally agree with you, and that was the that was my initial problem with him too. I think Edward Norton has the the same, um, gosh, he has very much the same challenge. I think that uh, um, uh, what's Winona, his name? Great Winona Gatsby. Ryder. No, 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 Great Gatsby. Oh, what's the kid? The 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 guy's oh Leonardo Leonardo DiCaprio. DiCaprio. He has he he suffers the the Leonardo complex, which is he's an incredibly powerful actor, but if the role isn't just right, he looks like a child, and 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 you know he's he, that's just his curse. Um, at the same time, uh, I found as the you know as I was watching him handle this role, and particularly in the meetings with the uh, you know with the rest of the team as he was sort of orchestrating, uh, you know, moving gear and telling his minions to do certain things. Um, you know, I need all the support staff to clear the room. Uh, you know, making these proclamations and orders. Uh, I I I found he ended up sort of fitting the part very well. You sort of get this feeling that this guy wasn't wasn't early uh, ingenue of political uh, maneuvering and uh, sort of scientific intrigue and that he is in the the position that he's in for a reason and I think uh, I think his 
uh, casting in this role in particular was ended up being sort of quite strategic that you you end up with a guy who is going to have to speak truth to power uh, that is a lot older than he is mm-hmm. in just about every major character. When he has to go around to each of these characters and these generals and tell them we're cutting the program and that means we're going to start killing people. Uh, you know, I think he played that off really well, especially his speech. That was a great scene. When he says, you know, I'm a patriot just like you are. I bleed red, white, and blue, and that means we have to do the right thing. And the Sin Eater uh, speech, I thought, was as brief as it was, was absolutely perfect. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and so, um, you know, in spite of Leonardo's curse, (laughs) trademark, bling, you know, um, (laughs) I, I think he I think he was he was really well cast in this film. Yeah. No, yeah, I agree. Uh let's see who else. Uh I loved uh um the short and tragic appearance of Zelko Ivanovic or Ivanek Ivanek. I can't really ever say his name. Oh he was Zelko Ivanek. Zelko Ivanek. Uh, Dr. Foyt, the the uh scientist who shoots up the lab and kills everybody. Uh, that he's a, he's a great actor. I think he he's um, he was um, damages. I think was you know. I mean, he's one of those actors who you see everywhere. And then I think damages kind of really helped him jump a little bit more to the forefront when he um, had that um, great part on that. But um, you know, just really interesting and just it was really creepy, actually, how he just walked around blank, just mm-hmm. killing everybody he knew. And He's... it's interesting because it, it made me think, it, and I, I, I doubt this is the case, but, you know, when, when um, they decide they have to close the outcome program and they're killing all the outcome agents, you've got outcome number one, who's the character in Pakistan. He gets killed yeah. um, or takes his pill and dies. Outcome number three is uh, the guy in the cabin that um, we meet at the beginning of the film. And I think that's a really interesting conversation that we should chat a little bit, Mm -hmm. or an interesting scene that we should chat about. Outcome four is the um, girl in Korea Korea, who dies. Outcome five is Aaron Cross. And outcome six is the black guy who we see come into the lab and get tested by, um, uh, what's her name? Uh, Her character's name, I can't remember what, Um, uh, Rachel, what, Marta what Marta um, checks him and then he dies. But outcome number two, there is no outcome number two ever in the film. And I'm sure it's not the case, but I kept wondering, is he, is Dr. Foyt played by uh, Zelko Ivanek? Is he an agent? I mean, clearly he works for them and he's designed as kind of a backup plan to wipe everybody out. It's not that he just happened to go crazy and kill everybody. But, right, but why would you say, why would you, you sound very convinced that he's not outcome number two. Why Why not? Why couldn't he be? I mean, I have read nothing to the contrary. Well, no, I. it's just, I. my only thinking is that if they are putting somebody through this program to uh, develop their intelligence and their strength, I don't think they're just going to have him sitting in an office all day and working as in the science lab. Uh, and but you know although i would say by the same logic they would i mean wouldn't you if you're designing this thing and you have this i mean this the science lab is a key asset in a program like this right so we're assuming that that why wouldn't you want to have somebody that you can completely control on the inside for just this reason 
Right, but it couldn't. But okay, maybe maybe he. Well, I, I think the big reason is because all of the outcome agents have to come in to get tested. And oh so yeah, yeah, yeah. That's everybody would know that he's an outcome agent. <laughs> he but takes that off his jacket. He's not a Larks agent. That yeah. doesn't mean he's not an Emerald Lake agent. He could be an agent with one of these other programs. Right. But I, I can't imagine that he would actually be an outcome agent because Rachel Weitz would be pulling his, you know, yeah, samples exactly. of his he'd spinal be, fluid and he'd whatever be running his own blood every. That they were doing, you know, yeah. she'd be doing all those tests on him every couple of weeks. He's just running his own blood every uh, every lunch hour. Yeah, right. Uh, okay. All right. So I buy, I buy that. Uh, yeah, he's I- Ivanic is a he's such an interesting actor. I mean, the guy. It, it seems like he always plays the same sort of sort of character. Mm-hmm. Uh, but man, I'm looking at his filmography. He's been around forever. I think I, I feel like I first, uh, I sort of discovered him in Hannibal in 2001. Uh, and I thought he was kind of, a uh, new to the, uh, you know, new to the business as, uh, but he's been around a long time. I had, I had forgotten, for example, that he was on St. Elsewhere. Uh, LA law. Yeah. Fantastic. Uh, yeah. Truman. He was in yeah, Truman. He, he's been around he's been for around a long forever. time, and he's been in a lot of stuff. Twenty four. I'd say twenty four. He was great. He was obviously in Black Hawk Down, uh, West Wing. He was in that was great. Um, his uh, and and then the you know most recently Heroes uh, as Emil Danko, great character. Yeah. Uh, okay, so he did that. Was that was a that was a good scene. So, so he's great. It, and uh, Stacy Keach, we already mentioned, it's just nice seeing him getting back out there. And, you know, it seems to be kind of, a, I don't know if it's a trend or what, but a lot of, uh, or I shouldn't say a lot, but if, there's a few directors out there who really enjoy casting actors who kind of had their day and uh, have kind of disappeared from the spotlight and aren't in a lot of great stuff anymore. They may pop up and just like, you know, very supporting characters or just as just be straight to movie, straight to uh, video movies. Um, Stacy Keach certainly kind of fell off the map for a while, but uh, it was so nice to see him again. Like I, I love seeing Stacy Keach, just like I love seeing Tom Berenger and and all the people that uh, Christopher Nolan keeps bringing into his films, or Quentin Tarantino does that really well. Yeah, it's I love it. I love it when people bring these old faces because they really carry so much acting weight. I think, and I think they bring a lot to the table. I think they do too, and and in this movie in particular, Stacy Keach, uh, <clears throat> you know, he he plays uh, the older, uh, sort of experienced uh, kind of political animal being bossed around by a younger upstart really well. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Like he is there. There is that role as uh, you know, particularly older men make that transition. Uh, from you know being the head of something to for some reason needing to be bossed around again, and and mm-hmm. I think that that relationship that we see on screen between Stacy Keach and Edward Norton is really good uh, and interesting to watch. I found myself just really every time he opened his mouth, uh, I, I found myself just really riveted. It is. It, I thought it was interesting right at the beginning of the film when we're really in kind of the born ultimatum world yeah. where we're seeing. Um, the conversations happening about, you know, Waterloo and we're seeing, um, Scott Glenn talking to Noah, Noah Cross and Scott Glenn, who is the head of CIA. Yeah. He goes and he talks to Stacey Keach, uh, um, 
you know, retired Admiral Mark Terso and tells him about this uh, situation. And Stacy Keach, who you think is like the next, the, the highest one in the chain above, above him, he goes, okay, well, I'm going to have to go talk to, talk to Buyer, Edward yeah. Norton's character. As they keep going up the chain, and then all of a sudden you end up, the guy who's at the top is this young business tycoon sort of and, guy. And the way they introduce Buyer is he, he looks like a, like a, a soaking wet cat. Like he just always he just he's running in the mm-hmm. rain and he's got these skinny little legs and he's just kind of is wearing this sort of oversized, you know, poncho kind of hoodie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he doesn't look like he could be in charge of anything. And it turns out he's the big boss. I thought that was a fantastic, uh, uh, fantastic choice. Yeah, it was an interesting twist. It was. Yeah, yeah. What did you think about how they peppered in? bits of the story of ultimatum and kind of where jason was at the time how things were going with that story what was going on with landy versus uh noah Uh, how did you think that played out and leading all the way through to the end of the film yeah i you know i think that's that ends up being sort of the most interesting question of of all um I, I I was concerned with how they were going to introduce this new character and how they were going to, you know, make a, a fourth in the series. I thought, uh, I thought it was really great. It was, uh, you know, choosing to make the, the, the legacy occur in a, in the same timeline. Uh, you know, I, I sort of feel like they had to do this in order to make it feel like it was part of the series. Like, you know, they had to establish, it's like we talked about weeks and weeks ago about this idea of directors and, and writers exploring, uh, the universe of a particular story, right? Mm-hmm. And and I think this has become very quickly a great example of how to execute, uh, you know, on this universe exploration, uh, because we're immediately brought back into the Born universe through context that I think was brilliantly executed in the first uh, in the first act. Um, when we are we are brought right up to speed with. Jason Bourne, phone calls ringing. Jason Bourne is here. We see the assassination of the reporter again. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that was fantastic. Um, and, and, and I think it really served to compress the time that it has been for us as an audience not seeing a Bourne movie. Um, and, uh, God, I thought it was really smart. It was, I thought it was clever and ingenious and, and, uh, I thought it worked really well. Yeah. I, I, I uh, 100% agree. I absolutely, loved how they did it and the and the i would add surprise at the ending and how everything from how you thought it was going at the end of ultimatum to how it's actually going when you reach the end of legacy was a very interesting twist and it's it's i mean it, they're really pushing uh, to set up um another i don't know if it's going to be a trilogy or what but it's it's clearly designed where we're going to have more going on with that political side of this whole story. And that's, I think, what I found most interesting about Born Legacy is that whole element of the story. And if they can find a way to really boost the the goals and the motivations of of Aaron Cross in the next films, then I think that it'll be really strong. Um, I, but in, like I said, in this one, I felt like the government conspiracy side of things was the strongest element of the film. And unfortunately, Aaron Cross, our protagonist and his story was the weakest. It it was, but what I, I found, uh, 
Okay, there are a couple of things I think interesting about that. First, I was going to add that that I think uh, Gilroy's choice to to make these a parallel timeline it hit it was a complete surprise to me i hadn't read anything yeah. about it and and that was uh, really gratifying now however i think he has also set the stage for uh making a really unique series uh of uh, of films uh in which we don't necessarily move in uh chronology uh but move in parallel uh we one of the things i thought was was fascinating was that they allowed the other outcome agents to speak particularly the guy who came in to have his uh, to have the full panel done the, who ended up dying the fisher guy who ended up dying on the dock right i can totally see him in his own film yeah i can see a film that surrounds each of these outcome agents moving along this parallel timeline as soon as we you know as soon as we grow sort of t- uh, fatigued of jeremy renner uh, if if that day should come, like I I can see them you know setting precedent with this film that they can move you backward and forward throughout the universe and just tell the interesting stories that the universe demands, not necessarily relying on a linear timeline. I think that's great. I agree. I agree. I mean, obviously they'll have to do it in a way where we're still because I think what's going to end up being the overall story tying them together is going to be this, you know the the reveal of the government conspiracy and and yeah. i think you know the what they're how they're playing with the the landy versus uh um noah story and there's still an angle there i mean we didn't see much landy in this movie and there's you know i think there's a there's another side to her story uh but one one of the things you know i think is is interesting the, the other precedent that they've established is there's always another secret government program <laughs> you know yeah, right right no right. We, we've moved they sure had a pile of them treadstone to blackbriar and oh goodness now we have outcome and larks you know yeah. uh, which is a terrible name but but i thought it was uh, i just thought it was really great that they've established now they have the ability to call on other agents stories i'd be interested in following for example the uh you know the korean woman just to to see how you know how does a woman actually a uh, woman agent actually play this uh you know play this part in the political and uh, sort of strategic drama. Yeah, that would be a really interesting, interesting one. You know, I, I got to say one of my, uh, another of my uh, complaints, it's, it's not a big one, but the Lark's agent, the, when they are talking about him, he, he really seems like he's like a superhuman. They're like his test levels are beyond anything they've ever seen, all this sort of stuff. And he certainly was intuitive and he really, was uh was knew how to track these guys very quickly and very well but when it came down to it 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 just didn't seem like he was that much different than um Aaron Cross like once they were actually fighting you know well i i think i i don't know maybe i'm maybe i'm adding something that i shouldn't but i thought that they had they had made it clear that he was just like outcome without the regret oh i thought they said he had a, he had it increase uh, i can't remember what they said now but i thought it was like i thought there were additional things like um you know enhanced uh pain you know suppressors and yeah. which i mean obviously he gets shot and thrown off a motorbike yet he still gets back on and continues riding yeah. so i guess there you go maybe that's it well i'm i but, did want to get your thoughts on the on the car i mean one of the the, the things that you know 
all of the Bourne movies is done very, you know, very, very well is this, this car chase, right? There's either the car chase or the moped chase or whatever. There's always a chase through a city. And, and, you know, in this film, it's at the, it's the uh, climax of the film. And we end up with a, uh, starts with a parkour chase across the buildings and ends up in a, on motorcycles and, and, um, uh, uh, driving through the, um, through the CD streets. The CD streets what of Manila. You, of, of Manila. What do you it think? Was, what do you think? I mean, inevitably, you knew that they were going to have to do another big stunt scene because, like you said, it's kind of become um, part of the requirements of the Jason Bourne series to have a great car chase that was, you know, very realistically done, and it was a lot of fun. And I, I think they came up with a really exciting one. I mean, Dan Bradley, who we've mentioned before as the stunt coordinator on on the last two films, I believe. Uh, did a fantastic job as second unit director stunt coordinator on this film he really knows how to put put great stunt scenes together um i mean whether it's just climbing off a bridge and jumping onto a bus or racing down the streets and slamming into a bus um while you're driving and and twisting the bus around and having it flip over you know i mean it was great stuff happening in that scene i it, it um I, I I really enjoyed it. At the same time, I felt like, I don't know, I felt like there was maybe it was something missing, but I don't know what it was. I, 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 I enjoyed it. It just wasn't, uh, it didn't blow me away quite as much. Although the ending of it was a pretty spectacular, I thought. The, of the actual chase? The end of the Lark's agent. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, okay. It, in general, I, I I don't know. I I just don't think that the the final chase held a candle to any of the prior big chases. Yeah. Uh and maybe it's because it was, you know, largely on motorcycles and and uh uh it's hard uh, it's it's more challenging to shoot on motorcycles in a way that makes it really look realistic. Uh but I, in general I thought it was pretty dumb and the final, the, the, the end of the Lark's agent, while the actual accident, the actual crash, mm-hmm. I thought was, was pretty cool. The fact that it was, you know, Marta who just looks over and kicks him. Yeah, yeah. I thought was, uh, you know, that to me was about as interesting as, uh, you know, Catwoman shooting Bane. Uh, and right. on a on a you know on a dumb line like that i just thought that was a that was a really weak way to end this guy as you say who's supposed to be the most powerful thing that you know cross has come up against right, uh, right. and and so i thought it just really it ended on a whimper and and that was a, i found a a, a letdown I, yeah i and yeah, i do agree i think i i i really enjoyed it like the the parkour chase across the roofs um anytime jumped, you see you know, him up running. and down was great when yeah. he jumped off the roof through the, I mean, the scene they've shown in all the trailers where he jumps off the roof through between those two little tiny tight buildings, landing on the police officer yeah. and then disarming <laughs> and them and beating killing up them. the other one. Yeah. That was great. All of that stuff was great. The chase through the streets was great. I actually really enjoyed the beginning of all the motorcycle stuff when the police were chasing him and the Lark agent was chasing him. I enjoyed all of that stuff. Um, Particularly when when he the Lark's agent was in the police car and slamming into the bus, trying to crush them between the bus and the railing, um, like that stuff was great. And then how they 
from from about that point on, once the Lark's agent gets on the motorbike, that's I think when it started. It deflates. You know, deflating, yeah. The uh, I thought that you know the the to step back, you know, I guess ten minutes or so in the film when they you know when when the police are um, are making their way to the hotel room. Mm-hmm. And Marta sees them and sneaks up around the corner. There is that sort of sense of intensity that we're building to, uh, as as she screams, "Aaron, run!" Mm-hmm. That I thought was a real highlight, sort yeah. of an emotional highlight, and it was really well executed. And and they all split and chase her. Some of them chase her, and some of them, you know, chase. He is able to escape, and and so we begin the running scene. Uh, and I think you're absolutely right. Anytime you see, you know, any of the scenes where Jer- Jeremy Renner is running uh, and you see the sort of physical nature of his character and the way he's playing the character is really strong. Yeah. Uh, but man, the bikes, you just lose it on the bikes. And it's an unfortunate way to end this end this film on a, on a whimper, not a roar. Well, and it, yeah, because it's like, because I mean, he's practically unconscious on the bike by the end. Yeah, exactly. Scene. It's like <laughs> exactly. he was shot and... And now he's driving the motorbike unconscious. And here's our protagonist who's supposed to sort of save the day. And he ends up, you know, I I just don't, I I didn't buy that he, you know, that we should have seen him be saved. Yeah, no, I agree. And I I think that's definitely a weakness. And, And I think bringing up the whole Catwoman shooting Bane moment, I think was a perfect example. It's if your protagonist is not the person stopping your antagonist in your story, it really takes some of that energy away from it. Yeah, you know, I I think uh, one of the the best recent executed sort of action movie rescues uh, is Ghost Protocol, uh, where we do see uh, Ethan Hunt's character absolutely destroyed in this final fight in the car in the car parking the vertical parking lot right mm-hmm, right and yet he still saves the day yeah he is still it's okay to have the character beaten up like it's okay to have him you know crushed and fallen seven stories into an airbag of a BMW but he he still was able to save the day and that's what i wanted out of this movie i wanted to see that final push from our main character that really highlights that he is special, that he has gone through the, he is, you know, he's leveraging. This was the question. I think they brought this up. This ends up being the handgun on the, on the mantelpiece thing, right? In the beginning of the movie, they actually bring up, but she says, why do you want to stay, um, uh, uh, what's the word enhanced, right? Mm -hmm. And, and he, so he has this story, this, this, you know, emotional storyline for, you know, kind of this, this seething undercurrent about how he used to be dumb. And so he, you know, he has this sort of personal, uh, drive to stay smart and stay strong. And yet when it really counts, he ends up kind of passing out on the motorcycle and that's, gosh. It it really kind of took it down a little bit. There. It really did. It really did. Now, I, I, I do want to go back to something you started with in the very beginning, which is the editing uh, by uh, John Gilroy. This is seriously a family movie. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it really is. Between uh, co-writing the script with his brother, Dan Gilroy, Tony Gilroy also had his brother, John Gilroy, mm-hmm. edit his film. So, yeah, it's definitely kind of in the family business. Now, you bring up the, uh, you know, the queasy cam uh, that, uh, you know, we had really established and and <laughs> really perfected in um, Born uh, Bo- Ultimatum. Ultimatum. And I found this film to be a welcome 
relief. I really enjoyed watching it, and the visual pacing was was something that I could just I could grab hold of, I could keep track of, I could. It was just really soothing uh, for an action film, and I, I, boy, I felt right at home. Um, it, in in terms of the cinematography by Robert Elswit and the and the editing, Gilroy's editing, I found it to be um, uh, uh, an easy film to watch. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, you never really had. The problems of context. And I mean, obviously that ties into the whole, you know, shaky cam style and that, you know, the quote unquote chaos cinema style of uh, of shooting a film where you don't know where you are necessarily. You lose context with your physical surroundings of the environment that your actors are in. Right. Um, in this particular film, you definitely don't have that. You really are able to tell where you are and it's very clear and easy to uh, to move through the film with these characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I thought that was a relief. Um, you know, I thought the production design. Uh, you know, we end up with a in a film that very much feels like we're in the same universe. It does that very well. Obviously, that's as a result of Tony Gilroy and uh, you know the the general Gilroy involvement in the universe. I think they kept it very consistent. I didn't have and, any. And he used um, James Newton Howard for uh, music, which is a little different for composing um, than the previous three films. Um, which actually I, I thought was fine. I, I think that it was really interesting how James Newton Howard used some of the themes uh, from the previous films um, by John Powell. He had the the Jason Bourne theme, and he also had kind of that action driving theme that uh, was used. He used those really well um, in in this film, but also you know composed a nice bit of music himself that I think worked really well. It was the same. Uh, was it the same Moby? Um, yeah, the same track. Extreme well, ways. He, yeah, that was, he's done different remixes every time. But uh, yeah. But it's now that that's been used. This this is the fourth time that's been used, right? It was the fourth time, and and it it had the least punch. Yeah, I mean, it had that same, you know, that that kind of the born sound. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, you're right. It just felt, felt kind of. Uh, it didn't feel ultimatum to me. I really, I, I think the Extreme Ways Born's ultimatum version uh, that was re- released as a single CD single when the movie came out, I think was probably the best uh, version of it. But uh, but this, at least, it felt sort of familiar. Yeah, and it's it, you know it's interesting. It's uh, I'll be curious to see where they go from here. How they bring Aaron Cross and and Marta Shearing back into the story, if they do at all, in subsequent Born stories and how they end up coming back into the fold and what they end up doing with it. Because, I mean, for all intents and purposes, it feels very, their story feels very closed. Right. Right. No, I, well, closed in, uh, you know, in the way that their story feels sort of finished, but open in the fact that they're both still alive. Well, yeah, sure. You know, they're on a boat. Like I there's I think if anything they've proven they can bring those characters back. Look at the different look at the the split between Born Supremacy and Born Ultimatum. Uh you know, I think they they ended up making some interesting decisions based on cast availability perhaps. Well, and you also have between Born Identity and Born Supremacy, I mean it's a 2-year gap, right? While Jason Bourne is just hanging out, having a good old time in uh, in India. Right. And so, uh, granted, he's <laughs> he's having bad dreams. Stuff, yeah. But, 
Um, yeah. So I mean, there's 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 definitely ways that they can yeah. they can deal with it if they choose to. Fantastic. Okay, so uh, let's see. What else do we need to talk about uh, production? We don't know, obviously it's still opening weekend, so we don't know anything about um, you know how the film is performed. Yeah, it's. I mean, looking at uh, Hollywood Reporter, you know, they're they're estimating that that it should be pulling in around forty five million this weekend. Uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, they had it playing every hour on the hour at the theater I was at. Um, to watch it this weekend or last night i'm going to be uh i mean it wasn't packed it was really not packed so i don't know if that just was the time i was at or because they have it so many screens or if it's still you know i mean i think that the the theaters in general have taken a a a dip in attendance after the uh the shooting in aurora and um, I don't know if that's still affecting it or not. I mean, they're they're looking at this being the movie to push um, Dark Knight Rises off of the number one slot. So we'll see if they're able to do it. Uh, looks like um, it's, uh, you know, it's 52% on Rotten Tomatoes. And I know we need to talk about Rotten Tomatoes in general, perhaps uh, soon. Uh, but, but in general, it seems to be uh, kind of rated as the not quite as compelling next step in the series uh, in the born series and and i i think it you know it may live up to that yeah in spite of all the individual elements i think that are very very strong in this film the overall picture uh the the overall picture is not quite as intense i think as it is brought down by the really simple uh uh plot arc of the main character whom we are supposed to be most interested in and uh, I think that's where it's that that's sort of the film's Achilles heel. But I think uh, Renner does a great job picking up the role. And uh, overall, the rest of the cast is strong. They've never had a problem with casting. They always cast fantastic people in these films. They look great. They've got a great gritty vibe, very realistic. I think that uh, it's 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 a bit of a, a stumble after the last um, trilogy. But I seriously think that they could do some really interesting government conspiracy trilogy here and do a very unique take on this universe and and come up with some fantastic films. So I, I look forward to it. I certainly would buy a ticket to the next one. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, any other uh, any other business on this uh, on this film or others? Where do we go from here? Is would be the next question if there is no other business. No, I, I think that I think we pretty much covered it for this. I mean, it was a, a very fun film to watch, and I had a great time, and uh, it had its bumps, like I said. But yeah, um, I I think that we covered it. So, moving forward, I think uh, our next series that we're going to be talking about is the late great Richard D. Zanuck, the uh, mega mogul Hollywood producer. We're going to be chatting about him and his uh, his uh, contributions to the world of film. We have a number of Zanuck films and uh, and I yeah, we have a we have a I think this is this may be our longest series yet. And well, outside of David Fincher, I think that still tops it. At oh, nine. no, you're right. You're right. You're right, David Fincher. But but I also think that the Xanax series could be the starting point for uh, several other series discussion. Uh, yeah. uh, and and, I, you know, as I look at this list of Xanax films, uh, these these are some of the the very 
<laughs> These are just some of the very best films in in my cinema memory. I mean, they just are they they're the very top. So I'm I'm really looking forward to this. I am too. It's going to be a really fun uh, series to go through. So yeah. uh, it's, it's it's it'll be uh, some good discussions. Excellent, excellent. Well, uh, I I think that is it. So everybody, thank you so much for for uh, uh, listening to the show, and we will uh, we'll catch up with you next week on movies we like. And uh, if you are listening to this today. Make sure you tune in tonight for our Google chat about The Born Legacy. You know, that's true. We should add that. Today is Saturday, August 11th. We're recording this. And this evening, August 11th at uh, 8.30 p.m. Pacific time, we're doing our, our next film board hangout. We're going to be continuing this discussion uh, with our uh, our own uh, movie heroes. Uh, I believe we've got uh, the good, kindly Sarmento is joining us. Mm-hmm. And um, Mike, Mike Evans. Uh, Mike Evans will be there Chad along with Stoops Chad Stoops. joining us. And uh, I, and so we will uh, be continuing this discussion on uh, the Born series, all things Born, and I, I think Steve's going to perform a little number for us uh, from the. Uh, what is it? What was he going to sing? Something. Um, that does sound familiar. Yeah, no, I look forward to that. I, I think anytime we can get him on the mic, uh, we're we're in good shape. So looking forward to a good chat tonight. So please uh, join us if you are able and uh, look for the link on our Facebook page and at uh, rashpixel.tv slash movies we like. MWL. Thanks, Andy. Thank you, Pete. Talk to you uh, this evening. You know what I got the other day, Pete? Stephen King's latest. Want to borrow it? Do you know who you're talking to? What do you mean? Andy, when's the last time I read a paper book? It's been like decades. I would much rather use Kindle, or better yet, Audible. What am I thinking? I don't read paper books anymore either. I am an audiobook guy all the way. For those of you looking to listen to the books behind the films we talk about here on The Next Reel, get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at thenextreel.com slash audible. It's the way to go. We covered a lot of great movies that started as books or plays in season two, like Powell and Pressburger's The Red Shoes and The African Queen from our series about legendary cinematographer Jack Cardiff. The Born Identity, Supremacy, Ultimatum, and Legacy. Jaws, Big Fish, The Thing, Bullet, Drive. The Maltese Falcon, Treasure of the Sierra Madre, Moneyball. Ah, Moneyball. The Prestige, The Town, The Killing. So many great movies from so many great sources. Producing this podcast is a lot of fun, but takes a lot of time. We've dropped the dynamically inserted ads because they are so annoying and have no connection to our content. Plus, they just jam those things wherever they see fit. We listened when you said you didn't like them. So now we're directly appealing to you, our dear listener. Please consider an Audible subscription to help support The Next Reel and our family of podcasts. I have been using Audible along with my family for decades now. I love it, and I have read hundreds of books through it. I couldn't be more pleased with their service, and I know you'll love it too. Head to thenextreel.com slash audible and get your free trial. It really helps us out, and you have a world of over 200,000 audiobooks open to you. So much great material available. Dive in with a free 30-day trial at thenextreel.com slash audible. Start listening to amazing audiobooks of your favorite movie source material with your first free audiobook today. That's thenextreel.com slash audible.